The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. It's boring. What exactly is boring? The whole thing. American history. World history. Doesn't matter. It's yesterday. It's not like a skill we have to have. What's the big deal about knowing what happened 50 years ago? It's a different world today anyway. You need to think of it as being about something that will happen tomorrow. About the future. The future? Yeah. Yours. Because, you know, believe me, if you don't have a grasp of history, people are going to perceive that as a reflection of your intelligence. That, that could have an effect on your future. I mean, are you interested in having a future, Walton? Uh, Miss Hendricks? Can I help you? No. I just came in as a fellow social studies teacher. Make sure there's continuity between our classes. Don't you ever disrupt my classroom again. I did not disrupt it. I came in cat-like. Yeah, more like rat-like. What? Well, first you go behind my back to Stephen, and I now... I told you. What is this about? This is about collecting evidence? Take a step back, Laura. No, no. You take a step back, Marla. Good morning, London. It's Thursday, September 6, 2012. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we will be with you from now until noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. And welcome to the show today where, as always, 519-661-3600 is a number to call to join in on the conversation and write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Well, Robert, the kids are back in school today. You can sure tell by the campus here at uh, University of Western Ontario, or Western find, University as they call it. Hard to find a parking spot today. That's, that's true. And uh, so I guess uh, and the rest of the kids are all in school. So I guess we can talk about them now while they're all locked away in one of those institutions where time served takes precedence over knowledge learned or not learned is one of the standing jokes about the education system, isn't it? Yeah, we've always likened it to prison. It's the only two institutions, prison and school, where you have to serve out a certain uh, amount of time. Right, instead of performing released. a function to earn your way out. Mm-hmm. Uh, later in the show... Uh, and I don't know whether this will happen or not, but I think maybe Robert and I might find ourselves not quite on the same page, but maybe we will. When it comes to the Edmonton teacher, Lyndon Dorval, who faces a hearing this coming Wednesday on the 12th over his giving students zeros on assignments and reports not handed in. So it's zero tolerance for zero. We'll be talking about that in the later la- la- latter half of the show. Good idea or bad? Along with uh, voodoo teaching. If you want to learn what that is, well, you just have to stay tuned. Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> Second half of the show. But to start off the show, my co-host is, of course, a twice-elected education trustee in the London area. And when you told me your theme this morning, Robert, I thought, wow, the, the title almost says it all. I mean, you just say that title, and you, what else have you got to say? The purpose of education is purpose. That's, yeah, I sort of like that. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, no, because it being the first week of school, I I started to think about why do we educate our children? And, of course, I mean, it sounds self-evident and should be obvious. We educate them because we value them, and in valuing them, we want them to succeed in life, and we want them to have a purpose. Above all, how are you going to succeed unless you have a purpose? Succeed in what? 
So I think part of our education process should be to instill a purpose in a child's life. And in the opening clip, we heard a child or a student say, boring. Mm-hmm. It's because he doesn't have a purpose. He doesn't see the necessity for learning something, and that wasn't explained to him prior to him finding out that this class is boring. But the teacher... Is, is it fair to, uh, to expect, a, uh, particularly a younger child, to be thinking about purpose at, at, at a given age, do you think? Because, um, you know, until you have a grasp of a certain amount of the reality around you and a certain number of... amount of knowledge, let's put it that way, mm-hmm. from what do you pick your purpose? How do you know what your purpose will be? No, I agree with you. There, in the early elementary uh, stage, of course, a child is not necessarily going to be setting a purpose or a major goal in his life, but from that clip, that sounded like a high school student, and we oh, all in that are, case, yes. we all aware of uh, in high school. Uh, a lot of the students are dropping out and um, are finding that the school serves no purpose for them. It's probably because the school has failed to give them a purpose and to demonstrate the purpose of education. But um, funny you say that because I found high school for myself personally the most boring of all the periods of education I went through. Yeah. When I went to college, it was like night and day. A totally different experience. Um, grade school was kind of 50-50 for me. I guess it all depends on your age and where you're at uh, with the hormones and all that stuff, too. Yeah. <laughs> I've always found uh, education, institutionalized education, to be rather, uh, how shall I put this, unnatural. Uh, they say that, oh, you should put your child in the school system because it will socialize them and it will get them ready for the work world. Well, you know, I've been in uh, the political world, uh, the healthcare field, the business field, uh, the education field, and um, I've never come across a situation where you're in a, a group of 30 people sitting, listening to someone speak, unless it's a... a um, an in-service, uh, some sort of class where you're being instructed. But there, that's rare. It's usually a one-on-one. There's a hierarchy in all of these structures. Uh, you're surely not structures. suggesting such a return to a one-on-one system as, as the norm, are you? <laughs> I find that the institutionalization of the kids, uh, at least that argument for it, to be incorrect. That you have to socialize your kids. I, I know uh, that are, there's children out there who did not go to school, at least in a formal sense, and are perfectly well-adjusted people and sociable people. They don't need to be uh, put into a, a group of 30 kids or 25 kids and, and, and I, I, made to conform. I heard a very compelling argument by a education activist who suggested that we're making a big mistake putting kids into a class of their own peers. Hmm. that it's actually better to have a mix, more adults, more, uh, you know, different people in the same environment. I can see that. Because what happens is the kids start using their own age level as their... Standard. As their standard. Behavior, behavior. If they had Instead older looking, people in the classroom, exactly. they could see how how are you supposed to act at that age, and they start to emulate the older children. And yeah, the older kids that. have the same... Uh, psychological response in reverse. You know, they don't want to look too goofy in front of the younger ones, if you know what I mean. They have to look a little more responsible than than them, you know. So uh, I just found that a fascinating argument and how it was, how it could have been so easily implemented. Now, I was in classes many times where there were two or three grades taught in the Mm -hmm. same same room. 
And um, they were the most disciplined classes that I always recall. And I always used to listen in, you know, and I remember being in the senior grade one year and in the junior grade another year. Mm -hmm. And uh, you kind of never got bored because even if you were done your assignment, you could listen in on the other class, right? And sort of either get ahead or (laughs) catch up. What intrigues me about education is that it's an ongoing experiment. I don't think we finally, I don't think we have it down pat yet as to the perfect pedagogical method. The, the perfect way of teaching children uh, the things that we want to teach them. And in the, and, and in the um, institutions as well, there's an experiment always going on. Remember, I grew up in the, in the 60s and 70s, and that, that was with my school years, and there was always changes in the way curriculum was uh, taught. Remember, it, uh, in the early 60s, it was a phonics method, and I was taught how to read using a phonics method, for example, and uh, I learned how to read quite well. And then halfway through that, they turned to a, what's called a look-say method. Uh, that's the um, Dick and Jane books. Absolutely horrible. And then uh, more recently, of course, there was the whole language method, which was um, a hit and miss of a hodgepodge of different ways to try to get a child to read, when, of course, we already knew how to teach a child how to read, and that was a systematic use of phonics. It was very simple. And uh, we abandoned it just to try to, uh, I, I think, make an experiment for the educators out there who said, oh, let's, to justify my position at this uh, educational institution, I'm going to come up with a new way to teach children how to read. And it just didn't work. And we were turning out illiterates by the millions. Well, they're still prior on to that, that they general were all quite same well. approach. Pardon? They're, they're still on that general, uh, general same approach of teaching reading. And uh, the whole language uh, method, yes. yeah, the child-centered learning approach to uh, teaching all subjects, um, where nobody fails. By the way, I asked as, as a trustee, I asked the administrator at a meeting uh, how many uh, how many children uh, failed, uh, did not graduate from uh, grade twelve, and he says the, they all pass. We pass every single student, which gets them to say, of course, that they're a success. And, of course, it's the opposite is true. So let's ask ourselves the question, why do we entrust the state to educate our children? Um, that's a big question. Yeah, that's, that's the experiment. A, that's the experiment there. But before we get to that, why don't we uh, take a comment from a caller, Scott. Hello, Scott. Are you there? Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Um, it's good to talk to you guys again. Um, I really like the topic today. Um, basically, in my opinion... Going back to a point that you brought up uh, probably a couple months ago about the education system or, as I put it, the indoctrination system, um, <laughs> it sounds like they, what the government and society wants to do, in, in Ontario at, at least, is raise good taxpayers. Mm-hmm. They, they want to raise them up, you know, 12, 13 years of, of their life so that they can get you know, socially acceptable jobs. They're they're put into the norms of society so that they can carry the torch of their parents and become taxpayers and their kids become taxpayers instead of finding something truly meaningful that is going to impact society. There are a couple of jobs that really do that, like doctors, nurses. Uh, I wouldn't say teachers uh, to a certain extent because they're just following the whims of the union in Ontario. But, yeah. It seems like for 12 or 13 years, they're just raising people to carry the baton of the tax system. 
I'm glad you I'm glad you called Scott because that's exactly what um, the, my 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 segments is going to be about. Well, and that well, is the once conformity, again, Scott the indoctrination is, of children. Yeah, Scott has jumped ahead on the whole theme yeah. for us here too, because even <laughs> that's what we're going to be talking about in the second half. But what a great way of expressing it. Um, that you're you're basically raising good taxpayers. I would yeah. challenge him on one thing only, though, that it's been a lot longer than just the past 12 or 13 years that this has been going on. The trend started, uh, gee, I think we were already campaigning 12 years ago on this. Oh, oh very much so, yeah. yes. It's, it's, it's been the purpose of education when the state took it over to indoctrinate. And you know something? That is the purpose of any education, whether it's a state or a Christian-run school or whatever. It is to make your child into the image of the teachers. Um, I think there's know, a legitimate role for some indoctrination, don't you? I, I do, yeah. yes. You have to teach children the proper way to do things and, and, and to fit into society, and rather than be outcasts and teach them right from wrong, you have to teach them right from wrong. Now, politicians, educators, and philosophers, and intellectuals, they know that children, almost to a child, adopt the culture, faith, and beliefs of their parents and their community through education. This fact is rather self-evident. I mean, if you were born in South America, you're most likely going to be a Christian who believes in the Christian God. If you believe, if you're a Pakistani, you're most likely a Muslim. If you're an Indian, you're most likely a Hindu or a Muslim. It's because children grow up to emulate the community they're in. So, ask yourself, why the state should be teaching our our child if this is true. Our society molds us, it shapes us, it conforms us into believing what our parents believed and what our neighbors believed. And while the primary tool for this molding and shaping in the past were uh, the parents, the church, the neighbors, the community, today we have sort of farmed off this responsibility to professional educators. And the vast majority of us turn our children sometimes as young as four years old over to the state to train and teach our children. Our expectation, of course, is that they'll be taught how to think and learn and have a solid grasp of the vast score of, store of knowledge that preceded us so that they can become successful, purposeful individuals. But the institution, the, the, the school system, sees a different purpose. They see a way of, as Scott was alluding to, economizing the teaching of a great number of children all at once in a standard fashion to become um, little soldiers, if you will, for the state um, to to instill upon them not, taxpayers. <laughs> not the uh, not the uh, values and morals of their parents per se, but of the state as a whole. And uh, we're going to take a little break here, actually for a bit of a smile, because we've got a couple of clips here from uh, a great movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Kindergarten Cop. And uh, just put yourself in the minds of these four or five-year preschoolers here, or, or actually school-age children. And maybe in the minds five. of the teacher, too, who's and just And the minds of the teacher, <laughs> yes. And, and ask yourself the question, uh, is four, five, six years old a little early to be put into some sort of institution to conform to the yeah. uh, to the wills of a teacher who's paid by a by the state and a, and is um, also a slave to their own union. Um, to me, it's a little young. But let's just uh, take this break for a bit of a smile. Ah, good morning, everyone. Your teacher, Mrs. Hagley, had to go on an important trip for a few days. Where'd she go? That doesn't matter. 
Did she die? No, Lowell. She went to see someone. Did they die? No, Lowell. Everyone dies, you know. I know, but not for a long, long time. Now, until Mrs. Hagley comes back, we have someone special to help. This is Mr. Kimball, your new kindergarten teacher. Now, let's everybody say good morning, Mr. Kimball. Good morning, Mr. Kimball. Good morning. They're all yours. First, I would like to just get to know you. <laughs> ha, 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 ha. Quiet. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. And I want to have them answered immediately. Yes. I need to go to the bathroom. Okay, you can go. Boys have a penis, girls have a vagina. <laughs> Thanks for the tip. Yes? I need to go to the bathroom and I can't get these things off. I get someone to help you. I'll be right back, okay? Yes, can I help you? Have a problem. Mr. Campbell, I need to go real bad. First day? Yes. I'll take care of her. Thank you. You know, kindergarten is like the ocean. You don't want to turn your back on it. Oh, they're okay. Don't worry. Everything is under control. Today we are going to play a new fun game. It's called Police School. I'm going to be your sheriff. You're going to be my deputy trainees. Well, come on, stop whining. Your kids are soft. You lack discipline. But I've got news for you. You are mine now. You belong to me. You're not gonna have your mommy's run behind you anymore and wipe your little douches. Oh no, it's time now to turn this mush into muscles. No more complaining, no more Mr. Kim left to go to the bathroom, nothing. There is no bathroom! <laughs> Boy, now I really have to go. If I was one of those kids, that would make me go in my pants, never mind the bathroom, right? You know, most of the... Uh, the, the <laughs> That's good how they might interpret it. <laughs> most of the good teachers I remember from my school days were exactly like Arnold Schwarzenegger's really? Mr. Kimball there, yeah. They were um, authoritarian. Um, the teachers who tried to be your friend and to try to bring themselves down to your level and to talk to you like a baby or whatever. I didn't learn anything from them. I learned from, uh, I remember Mrs. Uh, Burke, I remember Mrs. Foley, I remember uh, Mr. Galway, um, he was from the Army, <laughs> you know, uh, Mr. Hollihan from the Army again, and these guys were very much like Mr. Kimball's, no nonsense, <laughs> no nonsense, and we learned, I tell you, you had to. 
But the ones... But not at four years old, they weren't like that, were they? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know, that's not true. Really? Oh, well, yes, Mrs. Martin, I tell you. Um, now, mind you, this was grade uh, four. I was nine years old. And I tell you, corporal punishment was a daily routine with Mrs. Martin. And uh, oh. I got strapped almost daily. And uh, maybe Boy. I didn't learn. <laughs> oh, no. You, <laughs> you, turn, wrong with you, you turn around in your you seat, know, boom, slap. I think in you my eight years in grade school, I can only recall three incidents of corporal punishment with anyone. Yeah. You know? They were probably me. <laughs> the only purpose. Now, this is from Ayn Rand. Let's bring up Ayn Rand into this discussion because she was very concerned about the, the state of education in, in the United States, and it applies here as well. She said the only purpose of education is to teach a student how to live his life by developing his mind and equipping him to deal with reality. The training he needs is theoretical, i.e. conceptual. He has to be taught to think, to understand, to integrate, and to prove. He has to be taught the essentials of the knowledge discovered in the past. And he has to be equipped to acquire further knowledge by his own effort. Now, as a simple test of whether or not our state-run education system, or even the private systems, are indoctrinating your child, how many times has he been shown a Michael Moore video in class? I know for my kids, it's several same film several times, indoctrination over and over again, the same Michael Moore films. How many charities charities has he collected for? And when he's older, ask him, what is the prevailing view of the teachers when it comes to politics? You know, in a few short decades that I've been around, I've seen education change so much, it's staggering to think about. Today, it's, as, it, as it was in my early years, it's an ongoing experiment. The education system today is a bureaucracy, a government agency of unionized employees who'd rather strike for ever-increasing higher wages and less work than actually teach children. The highest rate of pay today for a school teacher in Ontario is $95,000, well above the average wage rate and well beyond the rate of any teacher in a private school, as far as I know. Students are now thought of as pawns in a tug-of-war between parents, teachers, unions, political parties, and the government. Just wait in a couple of weeks' time when the teachers have threatened to strike here in Ontario again. Now, the minds of students today, not unlike the minds of students of yesterday, not a lot has changed, some has changed, not a lot, but to a greater degree, it's all about degree here. They're molded and disfigured into shapes that we can't recognize anymore. And Ayn Rand likened this mental disfigurement to the physical disfigurement described by Victor Hugo in his novel, The Man Who Laughs. It was a story of children intentionally disfigured for the pleasurement of others as circus freaks or court clowns. I'll just read you a little bit from that uh, novel, uh, The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. Quote, the Comprachicos, as they were called, worked on man as the Chinese work on trees. A sort of fantastic stunted thing left their hands. It was ridiculous and wonderful. They could touch up a little being with such skill that its father could not have recognized it. Sometimes they left the spine straight and remade the face. Children destined for tumblers had their joints dislocated in a masterly manner. Thus, gymnasts were made. Not only did the Comprachicos take away his face from the child, they also took away his memory. At least they took away all they could of it. The child had no consciousness of the mutilation to which he had been subjected. Of burnings by sulfur and incisions by the iron, he remembered nothing. The Comprachicos deadened the little patient by means of stupefying powder, which was thought to be magical and which suppressed all pain. 
I'm sort of reminded of Ritalin today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, obviously, the teachers of the day don't physically mutilate their charges, at least not the, uh, not today as they did in my day with the strap and corporal punishment. But the analogy is that they mutilate their minds. They're in full control of the children for more hours of the day than their parents are. They use this control to distort, morph, mutilate, and mold the minds of the child as befits their own personal ideology and that of their union bosses and political masters. It may rather uh, sound rather outlandish, but again, ask the, your young elementary school-age child about such higher-order political and social concepts of, uh, for example, pollution, recycling, race relations, sexual preferences, socialized medicine, and see if they haven't already been instructed into rote responses which conform to the political left. Yes, while, while condemning rote responses to phonics and yes. mathematics. <laughs> oh, yeah, you learn can't learn your times yes. tables, but... But learn your rope yes, when it comes just, to politics. Uh, memorize the mantra to uh, socialize medicine and recycle, reuse, and cycle, cycle. And, you know, ask your high school age child about corporations, profits, capitalism, business, and see if their response is primarily negative. Their attitudes have been shaped and molded and altered, not unlike the bodies of those Comprachico children. They're becoming little soldiers for their altruistic and egalitarian masters. The other thing, too, is it makes them less capable of, of, of uh, dealing with that reality you were talking about. That's right. They're not being told how to think. They're being told what to think. And, then, and when it's wrong, what happens when they go and meet reality outside the door? They Uh-oh. fail. Yeah. They fail. And then they start to learn all over again the real way of dealing with reality by themselves. But the street, you know, uh, the, if we allow they call them. the school of hard knocks. Yeah, well, if we even allow that, because yeah. the school of hard knocks has been replaced with the school of entitlement. I think that yeah. the public education system, primarily they're teaching uh, the children to despise the good for being good. They're being taught to despise greatness and creativity and instead to embrace conformity and the mundane and mediocrity. Ayn Rand had this to say. The Academia Jet Set Coalition, as she called them, (laughs) is attempting to tame the American character by the deliberate breeding of helplessness and resignation in those incubators of lethargy known as progressive schools, which are dedicated to the task of crippling a mind's mind by arresting his cognitive development, unquote. Now, in order to facilitate the process of distorting a mind's cognitive development, It's been the trend to enroll children into institutionalized schools at a younger and younger age. Today in Ontario, we have full-day kindergarten and even junior kindergarten where four-year-olds, just a year and a half out of diapers more or less, are put into state-run institutions primarily by parents who are quite willing to take advantage of this taxpayer-funded daycare. Because that's all it really is. Their little minds full of hope and promise are already being shaped as a single collective. You know, if you compare... Now, you know, in the minds of a lot of parents, though, they wouldn't see it, see that, what, that that's what's going on in the class. They would still look at it as reading, writing, arithmetic, yep. and socializing to a certain degree. Yep. You know, but though I have... And uh, doesn't any of that go, go, go on at all in the classroom? It does, <laughs> but to a, a great extent, it is done in such a wrong fashion that it takes literally six, seven, eight, nine years for a child in the public education system to be taught to read properly when in a private system like Montessori, um, a child can learn to read in months. 
about eight months it takes a child to learn how to read, and I mean read anything. And I've done this with my own children. They went to the Montessori system for uh, for a time and learned how to read. And you can give them uh, a newspaper, which is usually written at a grade nine level, um, and they could read it. Now, they might stumble over a few words, but they'll be able to read them, and they may not know what is being said or uh, being communicated. That comes with experience and, and, and living. But they can read it, and I think that's the point. Now, actually, I'm going to relate a little point. Remember, you and I... Yeah, I was just probably thinking the same went, thing right now. When we had this whole, pho- whole language phonics debate, you and I actually went to the home of a school teacher who took exception oh, to our yeah. campaign, sat down... And it got quite heated, I must say, uh, our, our, our argument over whole language and phonics until we decided to talk about our definitions. And what I took as the definition of the, the term to read meant to decipher the code that's on the page, to be able to pronounce the words that are there, not to understand. And the teacher's eyes lit up, and she says, oh, that's what you mean. Because today, reading means to an educator to understand, to comprehend. It's comprehension. And back in my day, it was split. You learned how to read, and then you learned how to comprehend over a laborious process of experience and and being exposed to literature. It's not about the reading, and I have always disputed that. You and I had... You picked on the same point, but a different experience. We had the same experience with the board itself when we gave some public presentations, mm-hmm. and they discovered that our definition of reading meant well sounding out the sounding out the words and knowing what they what they are, not necessarily what they mean and all their implications. And then to test out the theory, what you need is a silly word like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Yes. Right? You can spell here's that a, out. Here's a perfect but, example. But does it have a meaning? No. <laughs> so so if the if the child cannot understand what that word means, he still doesn't read, even though he can say it perfectly, their, according yes, to their that's definition. That's what they say. You know, this is really funny, bringing up a memory when I was putting that towards the board. Um, I put a motion uh, forward to uh, uh, promote the use of phonics here in the school systems. And one of my colleagues came to that meeting knowing full well about the motion, and he, on his shirt... It said, hooked on phonics worked for me. But it was written uh, not... Phonetically? Phonetically. It was written phonetically, right? And he was opposed to my motion. He was believing, of course, the the administration's line that uh, whole language is the way to go. You know, the irony was that a child who was taught to read phonetically, which is the proper way, would be the only child who would be able to read his His T-shirt. A person who was taught using whole language message wouldn't be able to read his shirt. So the irony was lost on him, unfortunately. But uh, we're going to have to leave it there for uh, this, half, uh, this half of the hour and uh, take a break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about a specific educational issue, are we, Bob? That's correct. And that's the zero tolerance for zero that seems to be expressed out in Edmonton. And not just there. I think it's somewhat to do with those standards we see in Canadian education from coast to coast and certainly here in Ontario. And that, of course, is the issue of Lyndon Dorval. When we come back on the other side of the bumper, we'll be hearing a CTV uh, interview with him, so he can. You'll hear him, you know, tell his side of the story, which was just aired on August 31st on CTV. So when we return, that's what we'll be talking about. I don't feel comfortable saying what I'm about to say, but one of our teachers is Lauren Davis. I think she pushes her kids way too hard. Lauren. I talked to the nurse too. You know, get 
sort of a box score on stress cases, a high percentage of them are Lauren's kids. Lauren Davis is hardly an attack dog, Marla, and I know you know this. It's not about attacking. She's demanding. She has this quiet, punishing way. She has her students terrified of failing. I know it. Last year, you accused her of riding the black kids too hard. Truth is, she's riding all of them, and some of them can't handle it. Thank you for coming in. We were summoned in. What's this about? Well, <coughs> Sylvie Platt. Uh, as you may have heard, she had some kind of an anxiety attack. She's going to be okay. But uh, it brings up the issue of student stress, which is becoming almost epidemic. Kids are having stomach problems, sleeping disorders, even ulcers. Now, as a faculty, I think we need to be concerned about this. After asking around, um, I've come to the conclusion that you two are the worst offenders. Excuse me? We all want what's best for our students, but... The worst offenders for causing student stress? You've got to be kidding. This is not a reprimand. Of course it is. You're not talking to the whole faculty. You're speaking to the two of us. This is a reprimand. I just want you to be mindful, because... Have there been specific complaints about us? Not really. Huh. But... The infirmary records show a lot of these stress cases are in your class, Lauren. The anxiety cases Bob Lick deals with, many of them are your students. Yours too, Marilyn. I have never bullied a student, not ever. This isn't about bullying. Look, I just want you to think about... Okay, right now, I can see both of you are offended. Why don't we just think about this and reconvene? Can we do that? Great. Val has been a teacher for 35 years, but he's on the verge of losing his job because he handed out grades of zero for missed assignments and tests. He was suspended back in June from his job at Edmonton's Ross Shepherd High School, and now he faces a hearing September 10th. His story is getting national attention and even prompted artist Matt Day to write a song about the no zero policy. Here's a listen. Well, I heard about a teacher who used to be a hero Got suspended from his job when he handed out a zero If a kid ain't done their homework, man Well, that sounds fair to me Well, there you go. Linda Dorval joins us on the line now from Edmonton. Linda, good morning. Linda, can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Great. So, tell me to begin with, when you knew what the school policy was and you decided to give zeros anyway, were you thinking that you knew that there was a possibility that this could happen? Yeah, I thought it was uh, at least a little bit remote at first, but as I got uh, various reprimand letters and discussions with the principal and, and threats of discipline, I knew it was getting more and more serious. So why not fight the policy through other means as opposed to just handing out the zeros? Well, there really isn't any other means. We weren't allowed to discuss this at staff meetings. It came down from administration and... Um, 
to me, that's not the way things are supposed to be. Even our own ATA has a clear policy that decisions about evaluation are to be done by teachers. So why is this so important to you? Well, I think there's two aspects. One is, again, this professionalism that I spent my whole career with the understanding that I was the one to make decisions about how to evaluate students, my students. And the thing is, it's also not fair to students. Uh, there's been absolutely no evidence that they keep talking about research that backs what they're doing, but in fact, there, there's absolutely no research that backs what they're doing. It's strictly a philosophy. And I believe it damages uh, students to allow them to, to just get away with not doing anything. They say the opposite. They say they're giving zeros damages their esteem and they give up and, and my experience is that's not true at all tell me what kind of feedback you've been getting well just just uh, huge i mean, in a way i was in australia for the summer so mm -hmm. i didn't get much contact but before i left i was getting letters and emails and phone calls from just relatives uh, former uh, colleagues of mine former administrators of mine former students of mine uh, just all in support of what i'd done you've been teaching for 35 years and now under threat of losing your job, how, you know, how are you going to manage after that? I mean, you know, that's your livelihood. That's right, and, and it's possibly very serious. Uh, I have now received a termination notice, and I'm to uh, appear before the superintendent on September 10th. And uh, they've also, I've also been told that termination often results in uh, withdrawal of my teaching certificate, which means I may not be able to teach anywhere. So what happens if they were to offer you your job back, I mean, or, you know, would you take it? Absolutely, as long as I'm allowed to do what I was doing before. So, and it doesn't sound like that's going to happen. I mean, they seem to be quite um, resolute on the fact that you're not allowed to do that. Right, although our school board has, they, they did have an emergency meeting in June to decide to reevaluate the whole policy. So there's still, there's still a chance that something may change, but it, it's likely going to be too late for me. Too late for him. Sounds like he's in a bit of trouble there, doesn't it, Robert? It does, and I can sympathize with him uh, to some degree, although uh, I'll let you posit your uh, evaluation of, of what he's doing, because I think I disagree with it. But. Well, I agree with what he's doing, yeah. and I support it wholeheartedly. I just look at the whole situation, I review it. I, I can only take it on the face of what I know. Pretty much what we just heard is everything I know, plus a little bit, okay? So I don't know if there's any heavy politics behind this, as we can certainly extrapolate from hearing some of those Boston public clips. You can see what could be going on in the background with unions and teachers and competition and everybody wanting to be on the same page. And making sure that children do not fail. Yes, and don't get too stressed and aren't the teachers aren't too demanding, right? And that's what you see in the schools, and there's a reason for it. And so here you have this teacher, Lyndon Dorval, physics teacher for 35 years. Physics is, to me, part of the clue, because someone who teaches physics probably has to think fairly logically and, and practically. Um, he was suspended in June, faces a hearing this coming Wednesday on the, 10th, on the 12th, I think. And he was giving zeros for missed assignments and tests contrary to the school policy, which was just changed two years ago. But he decided to give zeros anyway. And, of course, he's asked, why not fight through other means? Because he says there aren't any other means. It came down from the administration. They weren't allowed to talk about it. It was part of what he considers his career. If he's going to teach, he has to be the guy that calls the shots. That's how he sees it. I agree with what he said when he said decisions about evaluations are to be done by teachers. And I agree with that, okay. not administrators. 
So, and, and why he thinks it's important. He says it's, it's professionalism for him, evaluation. It's not fair to the students. He says there's no research to back what they're doing. It's strictly a philosophy, which I think does bad to philosophy because, of course, if a philosophy doesn't, can't be backed by evidence, it's not very much of a philosophy, is it? It doesn't even rate. It's just somebody's idea. More of a, a religion. <laughs> Maybe. And he's had great feedback, which we have a lot of here. I don't know how much we'll be able to look at. His, his livelihood is threatened. So basically, I see him as a civil, uh, you know, taking a stand on civil disobedience and someone who seems to be quite willing to suffer the consequences, even though he doesn't want to suffer them. Um, that's what he's doing. I heard him in an interview as well on the 31st on another radio show with uh, Andy Utman. And uh, he said a lot of the same things to Andy there. And he pointed out, though, this was an interesting little inside thing you should know is it how this all arose and why he is breaking the policy of, of, of the uh, school board there. This is in Edmonton. He says the government grants its funding based on the completion of a course, <laughs> not passing the course. End of story. Yeah. We could stop talking right there. There's the problem. And he says this is not in the best interest of students. It's just a way of inflating marks, passing kids through, and therefore the school gets money. Yep. That's what it's all about. He says, and, and he says they argue that if a student doesn't do the work, then you're not actually evaluating him. Therefore, you shouldn't include the mark. But he says he thinks that's overridden by common sense. And he sees giving zeros away, uh, as a way of motivating the student. That's the purpose of the zero. Now, you say you disagree with that. Is that what you're disagreeing with? Or Yes. Okay, tell me why. I'm curious. Um, mainly because of what I think should be the ideal uh, way. He's stuck between a rock and a hard place, and he's found this method to... Um, to give a, a, a student an incomplete when that's exactly what he should should be doing is giving a complete. This is what the teacher who gives a zero for incomplete work is saying to the student. As punishment for not completing an assignment, I will let your future teachers know that you know less about the subject than may actually be the case, when in fact what I should be doing is letting these teachers know that because of your inactivity and failure to do assignments, I really don't know how much of the material you know. All I really know about the level of knowledge you have is based on the work you have completed. I also know that for whatever reasons, various and sundry, you have not completed assignments and tests. Therefore, my message for your record is incomplete. That's what the he should be giving these students, not zeros, which is a percentage of the knowledge that he's trying to instill in the child. Ah, see, now you and I have the same, same problem that we had over the definition of reading. I don't think marks are just for knowledge. Oh, see, now that's the difference. Yeah, let's define our terms. Yes. I think marks are a percentage of the knowledge that is supposedly to be imparted for the student in that course. It can be in a given, for example, on a given test. If it's mathematics, it's right or wrong, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, zero to a hundred percent, whatever it is. You can't argue about that. But is that all you're marking is a, no is a knowledge of the student yes. or are you marking the student? I, I think we and, should talk about ideal terms and, and, it, and once a student terms. has accepted the terms of enrolling in a school, taking the taxpayer's money, supposedly there, to do the work as, as if he were hired. If I was an employee, employer and hiring somebody to dig a hole and they refuse to dig a hole because it, it has some problem with their esteem, uh, they wouldn't be there. They'd get a zero. No, they'd <laughs> okay. get an incomplete. Well, no, but, incomplete. But, but, There's a big difference in those terms. Zero means you know nothing, which is not necessarily no, the you case. Know what the, you know what the problem is, though? First of all, 
this incomplete thing is something totally new. It's not used outside that school system. That's what I'm saying. This and is also, an ideal situation. And also, that they found when they went to the incomplete, it totally demotivated the students. Students no longer felt any reason to do because they're still passed the on. They're still passed on. Even with an incomplete, they're passed on. If you go to university, incompletes are given out. I don't know about this particular university, but um, the one I went to, if you didn't show up for uh, your assignments, you were given an incomplete. You had to do the course again. You failed. It didn't mean that you didn't know some of the material. It meant that the the teacher didn't know how to mark you because you didn't give him enough uh, material to mark. You know, what's really at issue is should a student okay, so get away... Oh, Robert. Just a sec. Should a student get away with not completing assignment? I think that's the crux of the issue. The answer is no. They shouldn't get away with it. But the answer is not giving them a percentage mark, which could be misinterpreted to mean that the student knows a certain percentage of material. The answer is, I as a teacher don't know what the student knows due to incomplete testing, and the teacher should be allowed to fail a student because he doesn't know how to mark the student okay. for incomplete work. So it's 10 o'clock in the morning, it's, it's a test for physics, I'm going into the class. I, I go to the class, I've got the physics test in front of me, I'm there for the test. I hand it in. I haven't, I haven't put a thing on the paper. Did I, am I incomplete or am I a zero? Well, that's obviously up to the teacher. In that particular case, I'd say incomplete. You didn't do the test. You didn't even attempt it. So if I had answered one course, question on it... why would you mean it, do that? But, but there, there's my point. <laughs> if I had answered one question on the test... Yeah, then you'd probably get a zero if that t- if or that one percent or whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. And so what exactly? And now you're yep. now, that's the that's weakness. obviously up to the teacher. The teacher would know the student and well, know why why he's doing that. It sounds it's, to me that they already this is know not what for works. those. That, this is not for those life both ethic questions. No, this I is know. because students are not doing their work, and that's the and it's bec- you see he's caught in like you say between a rock and a hard place, and the problem is. It's not the students that aren't doing the work, it's the school board that's not yep. doing its work. That's the people who are and to blame for this whole situation, for you know, not allowing of, students to fail. There was a lot of commentary on the CTV site, you know, and, and, and here's one person who I think thinks a bit like you. He says, think of it this way, if a golfer doesn't show up for a tournament, do we give him a score of zero? No, he gets no score. A zero is a score. But, what if he, but that's the point, of, you know, if he doesn't show up but he agreed to, and he was part of the tournament, would they really give him a no score or would he get a zero? <laughs> you know, golf is the wrong example there. Uh, Considering it, a low the number means you win. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, that's true. I don't, a zero is a score, yes, I see what you mean. And uh, he says, does it only make sense to give me a score only if I played the game, right? Yes. And But once you agree to play a game, if you refuse to move... Does that qualify you for an incomplete? I don't think so. That's a zero. I'm sorry. So again, those are life zero for Well, I think it's a great motivating tool. I think he's doing the right thing. And it's okay. Uh, Let's he, agree to disagree. He's got my support totally on this one. <laughs> I got to tell you. I, I think we agree on one thing because it's the motivating the, factor. Students' actions should have consequences. And it's the failure of the administration and the school system for not making sure that a teacher can mete out consequences for those students' inactivity properly. You know, someone else asked an interesting question here. So would the outcome have been any different if the teacher had given those students a mark of 10 or 1? I think the school board would be just as angry because it would not meet Hmm. their criteria (laughs) of getting their money. Yeah. and raising the standards. That's what it's all about. And so what this teacher's doing is rubbing it in their face. The other thing he admitted to doing on the Andy Utman show, which he had never admitted to doing before because he says, well, they're going to fire me anyway. And that was what he called putting illegal 
um, cell, phone cell phone jamming jammers. devices in the classroom, and everybody applauded him for doing that because yeah. it was another thing he had to do to keep the kids their attention, right? I agree with him. And, uh, I don't agree, agree with that he would break the law necessarily to do that. The school board should allow that. That, again, is a fault of the school board yep. not you know, following up on their previous disciplinary measures. But we can't not, not have the little darlings have their Facebook and Twitter on their, their new phones. Well, technology in the class, They'd be upset. Whole issue. They'd be upset. What would happen <laughs> then? <laughs> okay. I think we better wrap that one up and agree to disagree. <laughs> We're arguing over nothing, aren't we? Over a big zero. Over zero, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nietzsche would love it. Uh, we'll be back right after this break. You think they're right? I don't know. We're certainly not abusive. Unless stress can be considered abuse. Lauren, today, almost every kid in every high school is applying to college. It's, it's not like it was 20 years ago. It's so competitive. We're here to advance their education. Think back. Who were your favorite teachers in high school? The ones who pushed me. In 1930, the Republican-controlled House of Representatives, in an effort to alleviate the effects of the, anyone, anyone, the Great Depression, passed the, anyone, anyone, a tariff bill, the Hawley-Smoot Tariff Act, which anyone raised or lowered, raised tariffs in an effort to collect more revenue for the federal government. Did it work? Anyone? Anyone know the effects? It did not work, and the United States sank deeper into the Great Depression. Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? Anyone? Anyone seen this before? The Laffer Curve. Anyone know what this says? It says that at this point on the revenue curve, you will get exactly the same amount of revenue as at this point, this is very controversial. Does anyone know what Vice President Bush called this in 1980? Anyone? Something D-O-O -O economics. Voodoo economics. <laughs> the classic scene from Ferris Bueller's Day Off with Ben Stein, eh? What a boring voice Ben Stein has. Oh, he did that beautifully. And yet he was giving some very accurate information and in teaching what probably should be taught. Yeah. You know, I was, I was thinking, uh, voodoo economics, voodoo teaching, you know. It's fascinating to consider how much damage might be done by a really boring and bad teacher in a classroom. And there's no way to filter them out in terms of the system we have today. The kids in Ben Stein's class from Ferris Bueller's Day Off are all, if you saw the scene, they're all sitting there in a zombie state, just staring blindly, and a couple of them falling asleep, one guy drooling all over his desk, right? <laughs> really gross. And yet, while he's sitting there talking, he's told them something that if they actually understood it, could change the way they vote and the way they think about politics for the rest of their lives and, and, and change the direction of their culture in the process. Now here, you know, listen to what he just said. He's just told them that in 1930, 
the Republican-controlled House of, uh, of uh, Representatives passed the Hawley-Smoot Tariff Act, which raised tariffs in an effort to collect more revenue for the federal government during the Depression. Did it work, he says? No. And the U.S. sank deeper into depression. And I'm thinking, wow, what a lesson. Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> you know? But no, everybody slept through it because the teacher was not engaging. Engaging, them. yes. And so, you know, learning that lesson alone might have prevented Obama from being elected. Stimulus spending and high taxes are not the mark of great civilizations, contrary to a lot of beliefs. I remember being in a history class once, sitting bored like that, and all of a sudden the teacher said something very interesting. He said that every war was preceded by inflation. And I'm thinking, wow, that's an interesting thing to know. Any any connection there? Should, something we should know? Here's a principle I could learn, right? And uh, never followed it through. It was just another fact, and, and that, but that got me interested on my own. And uh, unfortunately, I just never followed through in the school system itself. Now, from what I'm hearing all the time, our schools seem to have an overabundance of Ben overabundance of Ben Steins. You know, have a Stein on me, and uh, and a chronic shortage of Lauren Davises, who was the character in the uh, in the Boston Public clip, who, as we heard in today's show opener challenges her students to see history as the future. This is why you have to learn it, so you know what your future is going to be like. Remember, history always rhymes. It's never the same, but it rhymes. And to understand that all valid knowledge is a value, if, if not a necessity to that end, right? And uh, Ben Stein there, he plays a stereotypical teacher. You know, he's delivering the information, but not the message. And, uh, you know, just like my example in grade 12... Now, she causes stress in her students, the female teacher, right? And he's putting his to sleep. She gets the reprimand. He drones on endlessly at taxpayer expense, right? This is not just a TV show or a movie. What's wrong with this picture? This is our real school system. You know, education has gotten so boring to students. This is politics has become, you know, to the majority of voters who just don't vote anymore. It's all boring. It's all the same message. Small wonder they're both run by the same people, the same institution, the same monopoly, the same one, the big oneness. We all got to be the same. And so students and voters alike become all you know, disconnected, disinterested, and seem to, to sense they don't have any real control or say in the matter of education, their governments, or even their lives. So our schools are perfect conditioning centers for the kind of people or for the kind of voters that the people who run the government want, just like our callers said. We're, we're, we're uh, creating taxpayers for the future. And I think, you know, if democracy and free civilization is to be achieved, the process has to start in a nation's schools. We've always been saying that. That's why you and I got so interested in education during mm-hmm. our political careers. And it doesn't matter how they're funded or organized. That's still secondary to this point. But here is a real lesson of history. Even when a country self-destructs on the political, on the economic, on the social course it takes, well, that too starts in the nation's schools. Couldn't be done without them. And, you know, more than any other identifiable single interest, isn't it interesting how organized religions, dictators, and governments the world over are, you know, more aware of that fact that you've got to run the schools. That's what gives you your power, because that's where you do all the conditioning. That's where you get people to agree with you, even though there's nothing to agree with. And the the students and taxpayers take it all as a given. 
I think that's why McGinty has his fixation on kindergarten for indoctrination purposes. And I think there's a bigger issue behind the kindergarten issue that nobody's talking about. That secondary impetus, we, we have talked about it, but not in this connection. And I think there's a bigger issue behind the kindergarten issue that nobody's talking about because of the welfare system. That secondary impetus, we, we have talked about it, but not in this connection. And now they're having a problem with so many single mothers and drugs. There's no parent now encouraged to, to leave family. Remember, we talked about how many yes. kids are coming. So now they're having a problem with the kids, and they're all on drugs. Now they need another, so there's no parent in the house. So bring in state education. Start raising them earlier and earlier to alleviate the previous problem you just caused by another government issue, right? So um, it's, it's sort of a byproduct of the welfare system. And in greater and greater numbers, uh, they're finding that they're unable to raise their own kids, and so the state kind of takes it over. Looking at this interesting, just to conclude here, um, there is a, another teacher who's out uh, in Western Canada. I think this isn't as far out. I'm not sure which city he's in. But Michael Zwagstra has written a book called What's Wrong with Our Schools and How We Can Fix Them. And he says the most significant hurdle facing students is a pervasive anti-knowledge bias that resists the teaching of specific common content. The child-centered learning philosophy expects teachers to tailor instructions to individual needs of each student while making the experience fun instead of teaching facts. The building blocks, he believes, should be in place before higher-level concepts, like you were talking about, should be taught. The politicization of education with successive governments promising to fix the system makes education susceptible to fads, he says. And when fads take hold teachers struggle to hang on to the basics. He's right on. Exactly. Yeah. He says there should be direct and focused instruction, and that includes things like spelling and grammar. The system should not be dependent on the students deciding for themselves what they will learn. It's a child-centered thing, right? And he says that this whole lack of empowerment, not just of individuals, but of individual schools, is part of the problem. He says make choice more prevalent in the system, and you do the basic things, and this is interesting, he says, then you won't need a new philosophy of education. Hmm. But you know, I right. think, Bob, that's a good way to end it, but I think that the uh, all of these points we're talking about now are going to be moot in the near future because technology, the way it is now, with the internet, knowledge at our fingertips, I think you're going to see such a drastic change in the way children are educated that 50 years from now, they'll wonder what we were doing. I wonder if that's going to be true or not. I don't know. I think you get a lot of information off the Internet and maybe even some knowledge. But oh, don't mistake me. I'm, I'm not talking about just having a cell phone in your pocket to use Wikipedia. Yeah. I'm talking about the way the whole thing is done from in the future will be totally different. Well, I guess we're done for the week, and we've got to go for another week. So join us again next week when we continue our journey in the right direction. Till then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you. Color into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright Wally, how'd everything go at school today? I went off for the track team I didn't make it though Why not? Well, I was near the end of the line And by the time they got to me They'd run out of shoes <laughs> Well, it's too bad uh, Maybe you should try out for the swimming team No shoe problem there <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh Theodore, uh, how about you? Your mother tells me you got home from school late again today. Yes, sir. Why don't you boys ever want to tell me anything? I'm really interested in knowing what goes on at school. Well, nothing ever goes on at school, Dad. Oh, now, 
Wally, I can hardly believe that. Well, you go in the morning, and if you've done your homework, it's all right. If you haven't, they holler at you. That's all there is to school. 